Well, let me start by saying thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak this evening. Um, you know, it's uh, over the last, I don't know, probably a couple of years and really over the last six months, Lord's had me reflecting a lot on my on my past. And, and many of you know I get up here and I, it's hard for me to keep a dry eye in this place. But, you know, I, I um, was thinking about how I got saved and how we got in church here and you know, how God worked in my life here as a teenager, as a young person here. And, you know, I'd, I uh, had sent out a couple of emails. Mrs. Strahl, many of you remember Mrs. Strahl. I sent her an email about a month ago. The Lord just laid on my heart. She was a lady that led me to the Lord here in junior church. And they worked with the kids for a long time. And, you know, and I just wanted to say thank you to, for, to her for her faithfulness. And I want to say thank you tonight to everybody here that, you know, that has had a part in my life as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, that pray for us, thank you. Um, let me just give you a little update about uh, my legs. Many of you have said you've been praying for me for my uh, scars on my legs. Whoever, thought, whoever knew you could get burned by concrete? Anybody in here know that? If you did, you need to tell me. <laughs> You know, I had no clue. Man, I, how many hundreds of yards of concrete that we poured, never heard about that. I, Don put it on Facebook, and Phil Smith texted uh, text me through uh, a message and says, man, it happened to me in Romania. I said, thanks for sharing. <laughs> a little late now. But, you know, I, I, we, it was an innocent thing. We went up and poured some concrete for another missionary. Uh, I went up on a Thursday, helped one of the young men. Um, he was dad was on furlough and wanted to surprise him with a, a patio and stuff. So we poured that concrete. I got the water off the concrete on my jeans. I had my rubber boots on that came up to the middle of my uh, shins. So I went to change out of my wet clothes and uh, my jeans had soaked up some of that water off the concrete. Two hours later, when I changed my clothes, I noticed these blue gray blotches on my skin and trying to figure out what in the world just happened to me. And I went out to the yard, and I tried to wash it off, thinking, ah, you know, it might just be something on there, and it didn't go anywhere. So Google it on my way home as I'm driving down the road, trying to figure out what happened to me in that hour and 20 minutes. I found out it was a concrete burn. When I got home, I took uh, white vinegar, poured that on my legs. CDC says that'll neutralize the lye in the concrete. I'll tell you what, and at that moment in time, I realized I did something to myself that I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> when I poured that white, white vinegar on there, about every hair on my head stood straight up. <laughs> I went that night, I decided, well, you know, I'll just, I sprayed some colloidal silver on it. I didn't think it looked that bad. It's like, whatever, you know. So I went to bed that night, rubbed some honey on my legs, went laid down. Everybody said, how'd that go? I said, well, the ants were all over my legs in the morning, but yeah, <laughs> no, they really weren't. But, you know, I got up in the morning, I got a good night's sleep, 10.30, woke up at 6.30. I was, got, went out to my chair, I was kept looking at my legs, thinking, man, what in the world happened? So I called Anson Swaddling, many of you know, he's in the medical profession, I said, Anson, what do you think about this? He's like, well, you know, you never called me for anything before, so it's got to be bad, so go to the doctor, so... So we went, to the, we went to the doctor. They took some pictures at our local hospital, and they sent them to the burn unit in Wellington about an hour and a half away, and they said, oh, yeah, send that guy down here right now. So we went. They put an IV in my hand. 
and um, thought I'd be in the hospital overnight, but we weren't. Uh, we went down. They looked at it, said, we're going to clean it up. We'll give you 16 days to heal, and then we'll do skin grafts. So um, that's what they did. They cleaned it up. I, we drove back and forth to Wellington to the burn unit about every two or three days there at the beginning so they could change the bandages on the legs so I didn't get any infection. I never had an infection, not even a hint of an infection, which was all to God's glory for that. Um, got, um, got to the surgery, had the surgery, um, laying there in that bed. You know, when, when you can't move, you know, I'm used to moving. <laughs> I'm used to doing things. And all of a sudden you're on your back and you can't move. Your legs are wrapped up. I mean, I, they had my legs wrapped up in gauze, and they, they didn't want me to bend my legs because they stapled. About 100 staples stapled all that skin to my legs yeah, when they did the grafts, and they didn't want me to move so, they, so that it would take. And I listened to him tell the guy across from me that week when he was getting cleaned up, getting ready to leave, and they were looking at his graft, and they said, oh, we don't think this one took. If this didn't take, we're going to have to do this again. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope they tell me they took I don't want to hear they didn't take. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm, I was nervous on Thursday, and then Friday they came, and the doctor came in. It was a teaching hospital, so there was like five students, a doctor, another two doctors. And uh, they cut, it up, cut the gauze off and everything, looked at it, and said, it's hmm, 100% take. And I thought, man, glory to God. I don't have to go back through all that. I'm thankful for all the prayers for all of, through all of it. And today I just deal with... Um, like I was telling my mom, they itch like crazy. When I get, when I, if my legs sweat or it rains outside, things like that, I think there's some nerves that haven't reattached to anything. So every now and then, it feels like they fire off. When I wash my hands sometimes, that water, that sensation, it just, it's like needles all over my legs, running down my legs. And I, I believe that's just the nerve endings. And, um, you know, they tell me to moisturize my legs Twice a, twice a day, and it's like, who in the world would ever think that I would be moisturizing my legs? <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you mean i got to moisturize my legs? <laughs> so I've got to moisturize my legs twice a day. I wear compression socks 23 out of 24 hours a day, and they tell me to wear those for two years if I want to reduce the scarring, um, on the, especially the inside part of my knees where it bends. is a pretty thick um, scar there. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. You know, it, and, and I would say that my knees, I have fully uh, bend in my legs. I just, my muscle from not using it uh, for those weeks laying there, it just doesn't feel like it's back where it should be. You know, so um, I, I got something to work at with that, but we'll get there. But thank you for, for your prayers through all of that. And, you know, that's how you can pray for me uh, here forward, just that, you know, the scarring wouldn't be so bad. Um, it is all, you know, there's skin over all of it. People always ask me, oh, is it still, you know, like scabby? No, it's not. <laughs> it's all skin. So I thank the Lord for that. You know, I will tell you, when they took them staples out, that did not feel good. And I went in, and uh, I was supposed to take the pill an hour before they took them out. Well, we went early, and we just went up and sat down, and I thought, well, I have time. I'll take it. And uh, I was getting ready to take it, and the nurse called me back. And she said, did you take your pain medication? I said, no, I didn't take it. She said, well, it's too late now. I said, yeah, I know it. Let's do it. <laughs> so she went through, and she took all them staples out. After an hour, she was, her name was Emily. She was sitting down there. She was sweating so bad. She's like, <laughs> I'm like you're making me nervous. Just take them out. And uh, so she, she got all done in about an hour. She got them all out, and 
She's like, oh, I think I need a break. I said, I need a break too. You can go get, go get a water, go take a break. But, uh, you know, and we went back the next, uh, uh, it was about two or three days after I had to go back and just get a check on everything. And Dawn's sitting at the end of the bed and she's like, I think I see a staple. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And sure enough, there was one more staple that she missed. And it's like, ah, it's all right, Emily. I don't care. Just get it out. <laughs> so, you know, so we got that one out. But it, it, that was a quite, quite a unique experience. But thank you for, for your prayers. Um, I do know I will not do the same thing in concrete again. I learned my lesson. Um, let me just say this as well. I was just talking with Nancy before the service as well. I do continue to pray for Phil Smith. Uh, many of you know he was on that trip. Um, he came to New Zealand help uh, Garth Lynette's uh, son Garrett there in Tokoroa. I'd been setting up this trip, and, and Phil and Susan, they know Garrett because Garrett went to Faithway to college, and I told him uh, when he... Some of you know that Phil and Dave came to New Zealand um, last year. They came over. We worked on a church project down there in the South Island. And while he, when he was leaving, he's like, oh, if anybody needs anything here, just let me know. So I told him Garrett could use some help. So he came a few days early, helped him there. We got to Samoa. We were a couple days behind in the project right off the get-go because there was a um, typhoon had come through the area. We couldn't cross on the ferry to the, to the most uh, western island where we were going on Savai'i. We were already behind. We get over there, and it was about a day and a half, and I don't know, maybe people were just feeling the pressure, and maybe he was just in a hurry because of everything. But, you know, that accident was quite nasty you know that was really as I saw that it's like man I'm glad he still has a hand Um, that's quite a severe injury but pray for Phil Um, I know he's got to be a bit discouraged we all know he's a worker too and you know he's to sit there and not be able to do something that you know God's called you to do in the claim ministry and not be able to do it is discouraging so be praying for Phil and Susan if you get an opportunity drop them a note just send them a text let him know you're praying for him. Um, you know, he's, he's been a big blessing to me. <laughs> Here we go. You know, I, when I got to Samoa, it's like, uh, who in the world would ever thought that a teenage kid that went to church here and the guy that was a, our youth pastor growing up, that God would put us together again once in, or a couple times in New Zealand on projects in Samoa and be able to work with them. Uh, or work again with him side by side, and Samoa is just a great opportunity. And to see God's faithfulness in their life, it's always been an encouragement to me. And I'd ask you to pray for them because, you know, they, they need it. You know, as much as many times we think that we can handle everything, we as guys think, oh, we got it all under control. You know what? If you're honest with yourself, there's times when you just don't understand. Your back's against the wall and you don't know what's going on. But be in prayer for Phil and Susan through this time as well. And I would, go, I would further that, say pray for all your missionaries. Pray for Donnie and Lisa. I was just sitting down here thinking about Thatcher's and uh, thinking about all the crazy things we did in this auditorium. Anybody know that I ripped my ear, pretty much uh, part of my ear off on that door frame right there? Isn't that right, Mom? <laughs> all I got to say is whoever were deacons at that time when we were in here for two hours and I was playing around, it's your fault. <laughs> actually Donnie's fault he jumped off that pew and smashed my head against that corner of that brick over there so anyways but uh, yeah I, we got all kinds of stories so when you see Donnie and Lisa when the next time they're here 
You know, you can harass him about that, tell him you heard that he ripped my ear off here on the doorframe at the church. But if you'll take your Bibles tonight, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter number 10. Um, while you're turning there, let me say the work in New Zealand is going uh, well. We've been in Masterton now two years. Uh, we got there with a, a small group of people, six, seven people, that were attending the church. And we have about 20 that come uh, pretty much on a regular basis right now. And I would say, you know, that for the work in, in New Zealand, that just pray that God will get a hold of the hearts of the people, that they have a desire and get a burden to win other New Zealanders uh, for the Lord. You know, we as Americans can go there. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, we're at a big disadvantage in the world as Americans in other countries because of everything that's going on. You know, one, they hear your accent, and the first thing they want to know if you're a Trump supporter. You know, and if you're a Trump supporter, you're a white supremacist. So, and that's the, that's the rhetoric around the world. We have that in New Zealand right now. And they've, they've questioned people that way. You know, first of all, are you a Trump supporter? And if you're a Trump supporter, you're a white supremacist. You're, you're equated that, like that with the, with the police in the country of New Zealand right now. Uh, and especially after the Christchurch, Christchurch shooting, with Brother Piper mentioned the other night, that young man went into, the, into that mosque and shot those people and killed 51 people that day. You know what, folks? That, I will say, I, I watched that video, that kid shooting those people. That was cold-hearted. And you know what I can't stand is when I get around people that are Christians and say, you know what, the Muslims deserve it. They don't deserve it as much as anybody else who's lost and on their way to hell deserves it. What they need is for somebody to share the gospel with them. They didn't deserve what they got that day. At the hands of a young man that thought he was doing something, you know, heroic. And he, he shot and killed those people, and it was, in, it was cold. And, you know, because of that, they started uh, zeroing in on Christians, conservative Christians, Brother Piper mentioned that trick track that was put in somebody's letterbox. And man, right off the get-go, they start looking for the person that put that in. And 14, you know, what I was listening on the news is if we can find out who did this and we can charge them for a hate crime, that's 14 years in prison they could get for putting that, that chick track in that letterbox. 14 years for handing out a gospel track. And you know, I... I Tell people all the time, we're headed for that right here in the U.S. as well. Don't kid yourself. That's where we're headed. And tonight I want to I preach a message tonight to you out of, out of Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read four verses here and then we'll get started in, in the message. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear, rec bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this evening. Dear Father, I thank you for this time that you've allowed us to be here. Father, I do thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in our country where we can meet like this right now. Father, I thank you for 
how that through the years that you've blessed us, but Father, I pray that you would do what you need to in this country to get Christians to turn back to you. Father, to get serious about doing your business, about telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would get a hold of the hearts of people this evening, Father, right here in the four walls of this church. Father, that we would be about your business, not about our own, not playing games, but, Father, living a life that you would have us to live this evening. Father, I thank you for all that you do for us. Father, I do love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, here in, in this passage, let me, let me start out by saying, you know, there is, a, there is something that is sweeping across Christianity, churches, across our country and around the world, that everybody thinks that salvation is something that you work for. You know, it's something called Calvinism that's all across the world. Can I tell you that's false? Don't listen on YouTube to the garbage that's spewed on YouTube. I deal with people in New Zealand that they get onto the YouTube and they think that they don't get the, the truth at church and they'll go online and they think for some reason that some guy that puts a video online is telling them the truth. Garbage. And people think that they're going out, you know, to find some new truth. You know, I heard something long ago, if it's new, it isn't true, and if it's, uh, let's see, if it's new, it isn't true, and if it's true, it isn't new. You know, I thought, you know, that's pretty wise counsel. That there's, you're, if you're sitting around looking for something spectacular that you can run in the door and say, you got something new that nobody else has had for, you know, thousands of years, you're crazy. Quit looking for it. Get back to the basics of the Bible. For far too many years, we think that we can run around and, and we're doing all of these things and we're doing them in the Lord's name. And you know what? The Lord says there's going to be a day and some of these people are going to stand before him and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, there's tons of false prophets out there. There's tons of false people that are in the pulpit that are saying they're pastors and they're not. Folks, you have a pastor at the church that you ought to be praying for and supporting. And I know that he prays and he, he prays for the people of this church. And you need to follow the pastor that God's given you. You know, I, I, I'm getting a little off track here. I have, I have a... The church that we're sent out of right now is down in South Carolina. I'm going to give you this... I don't know why, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this anyways. We, we uh, a few years ago, when, when, uh, after Dana graduated, we decided that we were going to go down to South Carolina, help a friend of mine that had started pastoring a church down there. And uh, we had a couple pastors ask us about coming and working in the ministry alongside of them. And this is one of them. So we prayed about it. We felt God leading us down there. We got down there, and things were going good, and he took the church. It was about 50. We were at about 125 when we left for the field. But, you know, just before we left for the field, he called me on the phone. He says, you know what? I'm, I'm quitting. I'm like, what do you mean you're quitting? I'm done. I can't handle the people. I, you know what? If I met him in the alley, I'd beat them all up. I'm like, man, what kind of this ought to not be coming out of a pastor? You know, and he's like, I, and, you know, he got pretty hostile on the phone about the people at the church. Well, I'll tell you what, first of all, it was his fault because he's a people pleaser. You tell this guy one thing, that one, one thing, that one thing, and then you get in a room with everybody together, and then it comes out in the wash that he told everybody different things. Well, that doesn't go down very well. 
Three years ago, he resigned that church. Today, he's not even pastoring a church, and he's not even in church at all, period. I sat down with him a couple of weeks ago when we were in South Carolina, went over and talked with him, and I'll tell you what, you know, there's a lot of bitterness that's built up in his life. But, you know, as I think about that situation, I saw what happened at that church. I knew the people that were there in the church before. And you know what? I've thought about this quite a bit. We have taken church, and we try to make it a business. It's not a business. We had a bunch of businessmen in that church, and they were all about, you know, all the finances, and they were trying to work all these things out and this and that. It was almost like, you know, we, we would have like a, a board meeting instead of a church business meeting. And, you know, church is not a business. And don't ever get to that point to where you think coming to church is a business because it's not. But because it was run like that and because people had their, all their own agenda and they're looking at everything else and not looking at what we should be doing in the community and not praying for their pastor like they ought to have been praying for, and not supporting him, that here we are three years from that point, he's not even in church. That church went from 125 back to 50, and all those people are gone. And now that poor pastor that's down there right now, he's doing a great job. He's a pastor from the north. He's from New York, and he's trying to pastor a church in the south. You know what? They'll smile, and they'll tell, tell you, God bless you, and they'll stick the knife right in your back. That ought not be in Christianity, period. And if that's you here tonight, you need to get something right with the Lord this evening. Because in order for this church to go forward for the Lord in the future, what we need are people that are praying and supporting the pastor here at this church so that the church moves forward. So get behind your pastor. I don't want to see anything like that ever happen at this church. I know we've been through some rough times. I know there's been difficulties at at Fostoria. And I thank the Lord that the church is still here many times. I think about what the church has gone through, and it very easily could be just just gone. But I'm thankful for faithful people that stuck it out. And folks, pray for your pastor. Now let's get get back to this message. Here in, in Romans chapter 10, Paul is speaking here, and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire. You know, Paul has a desire in his heart. We know what that desire is here at the end of the, at the, that verse. It says that they might be saved, talking about the Jews, that they might be saved. And Paul had a desire in his heart. You know, the, the, the word desire, it, it means to wish for, to want, to long for, yearn for, crave. If you're from the South here this evening, to hanker for. You know, to, to really want something badly. Let me, let me share this uh, uh, illustration with you. It's about Socrates, or just a story about a. I'm going I'm to read it because I'm not good at just telling jokes off the top or illustrations. So, there's a story about a proud man who came to Socrates asking for knowledge. He walked up to him, the muscular philosopher and said, "Oh, great Socrates, I come to you for knowledge." Socrates recognized a pompous numbskull when he saw one. He led the young man through the streets to the sea, chest deep into water. Then he asked, what do you want? Knowledge, O wise Socrates, said the young man with a smile. Socrates put his strong hands on the man's shoulders and pushed him under. Thirty seconds later, Socrates led him up 
What do you want, he asked again. Wisdom, the young man replied. Oh, great, and why, Socrates? Socrates crunched him under again. Thirty seconds passed, thirty-five, forty. Socrates let him up again. The young man was gasping. What do you want, young man? Between heavy, heaving breasts, the fellow wheezed, Knowledge, oh, wise and wonderful. Socrates jammed him under again. Forty-five seconds passed, fifty seconds passed. What do you want? The young man shouts, Air! He screeched, I need air. When you want knowledge as you want air, then you will have knowledge, is what Socrates told him. You know, as I thought about that man, as he gasped and wanted that air, and he had a desire for air, he needed it, he he was longing for it. And you know, I believe that's the same thing here in Paul's soul, as he was longing to see his Jewish countrymen saved. That was his desire. And you know what I think in the world today where we're at in Christianity is people have lost a desire for the lost souls in their community. We don't desire to see the lost saved as Paul desired to see his, these Jews to know Christ as their Savior. And when we don't have that desire in our life, then you know what? We, what? What ends up happening is everything else gets put above church and it gets put above the Bible. And, you know, we desire everything else. We desire that our kids go to sports on Sundays. We desire, I deal with this with, a, with uh, one of the families that come to our church on Sunday mornings. They love to shoot. They're in uh, shooting competitions and they they go to, out to the range and they go shooting on Sundays. And they'll skip church. And it's a great family time, they tell me. And it's like, ah, you know, I don't see a desire in the heart for the lost. I don't see a desire in their life for the things of the Lord. It's always the, the things out in the world. You know, we desire that our kids be these great... Uh, Athletes. How many times have you seen the people, they take their kids and they lift them up and they, they're like little trophies to them and they polish them up and they set them on the shelf and that's their idol in their life are their children. It's not a desire for the loss, it's a desire to have their kids be their little idols. Folks, where is the desire in your life tonight? What is it Right now, at this moment in time, that you desire more than anything. Is it seeing the lost saved? Is it paying off your house? Is it having a new car? Is it whatever? What is that desire right now in your life? Man, I am thankful for the fact that people at this church desired to see other people saved and they went out into the community and they led people to the Lord. And you know what? Many of you here tonight are are a result of people reaching out to their community, but are we still reaching out in the community around us? There used to be a day here as a teenager, I remember going in the old wing over here and we'd have 35, 40 people show up to go out on Thursday nights to go out and, and to reach the lost with the gospel. 
I remember getting the, the police in Mayville coming and telling us we couldn't be, as teenagers, we couldn't be passing out flyers and knocking on people's door in Mayville. You know, how long ago would that have been now? 30 years? 35 years? Man, where's time going? But you know, they told us we couldn't be passing out those things in Mayville 35 years ago. But you know, tonight at, at the church, what, it, what is it that you want to see happen here at Fostoria Baptist Church? Do you want to see people, their lives changed? See them trust the Lord as their Savior? It's great to hear about this one at Vacation Bible School that trusted the Lord as their Savior. And who knows what God will do with that, that life? We don't know. And you don't know. But what we do know that God wants us to do is to take the message of the gospel to the people in this town and in Mayville and North Branch and around this area to take the message. And what is it tonight that you desire more than anything? You know, we can see here from Paul's desire, it led him to do something here. It says in this verse, Brethren, my heart's desire, and then we know what that is. And he says, and my prayer to God for Israel is. You know, because Paul had a desire for his countrymen, that desire led him to pray for people to trust the Lord as their Savior. Folks, we try, we try to be these great theologians, and you know what happens many times is we muddy the water of salvation. We get things so clouded up by telling people they have to do this, do that, do this, do that, and fit in this mold and do all this stuff, and, and otherwise you're not saved. You know, I was talking with uh, people over the last couple of weeks, and you know, isn't it good to know that the Bible says that man looks on the outward, but God looks at the, at the heart. You know, I believe God looks at the heart because God wants to know what the intent of what we do, why we do things. You know, he wants to know why we're doing things. You know, somebody might get saved at six months, and they're, they're doing something that we know the Bible teaches they shouldn't be doing, but they don't know. But then we have an adult or a, a mature Christian go to them and say, you know what, you're doing that, you, what's wrong with you? You're gonna, you're, you must not be saved. You know, they're growing in the Lord. Don't discourage somebody to the point to where they leave. You know, it's teaching people what the Bible says. God looks at the intent of the heart. And you know what? They might not have meant it maliciously. They might just not know. But be willing to teach people. But Paul here, he prayed for his countrymen. Tonight, are you praying for people here? Do you have somebody? You know, we're gonna, we'll be praying for people in a little bit on our prayer sheets and I know people put on these prayer sheets for their lost family members, for lost co-workers, for people in the community. And do you take time to pray for those people on that sheet? Or is it just an exercise that we do on Wednesday night? Has it become so nonchalant that, hey, you know what, we, they're on there. I know they're on there, but I don't take time to pray for them. Folks, take time to pray for those people on that sheet. I tell people all the time, I pray for my grandkids, that they'll know Christ as their Savior. I pray for family to know the Lord. 
Do you take time, do you care enough to whisper a prayer to a God that wants to hear and answer our prayers for your lost family? Many of you in here have grandkids. Have you been so busy that you don't even think about their salvation? You know, I might not be able to spend much time with my grandkids here on this earth. But I sure do want to have eternity with them. Folks, are you praying for the lost? Do you care where they're going to spend eternity? Do you care where your family's headed? You know, we say we care and we, we say, well, you know, I... I we care enough to support different outreaches, but are you doing it? You know what? There are people that will listen to you that will never listen to me. You know, there's people that don't know me from anybody, and if I go up to them and I say, hey, you know what, I just want to share with you, and they're just like, man, here's another religious crackpot. But if they know you and they know your life and they know that you live according to the Bible and they've watched your life, that you have an inroad to share something with them that could change your life forever. Are you taking the time to share it? You know, it starts with a desire for the lost. You've got to pray for, for people. You know what, I, what I'm... As I was... Putting this message together a few weeks back, I was thinking about this, people that we pray for. You know, isn't it interesting that the Bible tells us that the people that we pray for are not the people that are our friends. It's the people that hate us, that persecute us. You know, those are the people that God tells us to pray for. You know, if God's telling us to pray for them, I believe he wants us to pray for them and for their salvation, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. Folks, are you praying for people this evening? You know, there's a whole, whole list of the things or people that the Bible tells us to pray for. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it tells us to pray for those that are blind. In 2 Timothy 2, 26, those that are held captive by Satan for the condemned in John three eighteen for the, the dead. And I'm not saying praying for the dead like they're already deceased. I'm saying praying for the dead in soul in Ephesians 2, 1. Those that are bound for hell in John 3.36 for the helpless in John 6.44 for the hopeless in Ephesians 2.12 and those without understanding in 1 Corinthians 2.14. You know that we ought to be praying for all of these people and you know the, the theme through all of this is these people need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and are we taking time and praying for people like we say that we do. Folks, is it important to you? It ought to be important to you because it was important to our Lord. It was so important to him that he came down from heaven and took the form of a man, went to a cross, and took my place on the cross of Calvary and took your place on the cross of Calvary as well. And are we doing his business in this world, or are we doing our business in this world? 
So many times we get so busy doing stuff, and you know what happens many times is, and this is something else I had happen a few years ago at church <laughs> down in South Carolina. We're sitting, in a, we're sitting in a room in a business meeting, and just the men, actually not a business meeting, just a meeting of the men at the church. And our sign out front, I didn't really like the sign out front, and a lot of people didn't like it. And we were talking about it this, Sunday, this particular Saturday. And as we were talking about the sign, there were some things on there I totally agree with, but I don't believe that they needed to be on the sign because the sign ought to be something that invites people to come in, not something that scares them away. You know, you, you can list everything that you are on a sign. You know, we're fundamentalists, we're KJV only, we're premillennial, we're all these things. And they list all these things on the sign. And I looked at that sign and I thought, man, people look at that and the first thing they see because of Islam is the word fundamentalist. Man, you're a fundamentalist? Man, you're a crackpot. So I, you know, we were talking about this, and it's like, you know what, I think that that'd be something that I wouldn't agree with. And as we were all talking about it, one of the men right behind me got all defensive. And he's like, you know what, we don't want these people from any name to a couple of colleges, Bible colleges. We don't want those people in this church anyways, and blah, blah, blah. And I just, you know, this is a place for me and my wife and my kids, and it's like us four and no more was his whole mentality. He didn't want us winning people to the Lord and bringing them into church. And you know what? Things didn't go too well that morning. It was basically, you know, well, maybe this isn't the place for you then. Maybe you need to go find somewhere else. Because this place ought to be winning the people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, you know, if that sign, if you're going to get all upset about a sign out there, man, you got, you got some real problems. And you know what? We sit here and we look at the world and we want church just to be for us. And you know what's happening in the world today is, you know, we look outside the world and we look and we say, oh man, look at all this crazy stuff going on in the world. Well, you know, we get Fox News in New Zealand too, so we watch that from time to time. I got to be careful watching that because I can get worked up too. But you know, it's, we, we look at that stuff and we get all, oh, look at these crazy people and look what's going on in the world and look at the world's going nuts. and uh, Folks, you know why it's nuts in the world? Because it's nuts inside the four walls of the church. We want to blame everybody else outside the church when it's right in here. And when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing for the Lord, then you know what? Then we'll have an effect on the world. But what's happening is inside the walls of the church, we're crazy. Man, there's a lot of things that's going on in church I never would have thought. There's so much bickering going on around the, in churches you know what, I, I long for the days that we used to have fellowships together. Who can remember the days that we had the tent meetings over in Millington and the churches would get together and we'd go over as a, as a group and there'd be six or seven churches go together for a tent meeting in Millington. Man, nobody even wants to talk to anybody today. Because everybody's always, you know, well, we're better than that, these people. Man, I just want to win people for the Lord. I don't want to compromise to do it. I'm not saying you go down and you get the Methodists and all these people. I'm saying we had good fundamental Baptist churches right here in this area, and we were doing things together for the Lord. But you know what? We don't take time to fellowship with others. We don't even take time to fellowship with people in our own churches. Man, I love the days that we used to get together and we'd have fellowships after church on Sunday night, go to somebody's house or right here at the church and do things together. But you know what? Now it's like, oh, man, I just got to get out of here, man. This is so taxing and wearing on me. I'm so tired. Church wears me out. Stop it. 
you know, this ought to be a place that's a safe haven. This is where your friends are. I just, I, I get so frustrated to see where things are in the church today. And I'm not just saying here, you know, I'm not saying anything in particular here at the church. I'm saying in church in general, as we travel and we go to different places everywhere, we see different things going on in different churches everywhere. Folks, you know why, why it's like this is because the desire that we have is wrong. Our desire is for everything else other than the lost in the world. Our desires are for new this or new that or big this or big that or, you know, having all these different things and having toys and all this different stuff instead of having a desire for the lost as we should have. And because our desire is wrong, that leads to all this other stuff being out of whack in the church. Because we don't have a focus for people that need the Lord and all we can see is, man, I'm just, I'm so wore out and taxed and church is so crazy and I just got to leave. Man, I, I love to be around God's people. I would be the last person out of the door if I could every night talking to people. I love being around God's people. I love being able to talk to people and share in their burdens, and them share in mine. You know what happens so many times is we we end up not sharing our burdens. We you know we have the Lord wants to, us to share it with Him as well. But you know what? I think right here in the church, many times we've shared one another's burdens, and it's it has helped people. I know it's helped me. But we have a desire that is wrong. You know, tonight you're here this evening and the Lord may have spoken to your heart about something in your life, about the desire that you have right now at this moment in time. You know, it's easy to have the wrong desires. You know, it's something that we got to keep in check all the time. Man, my heart all the time... You know, I, I used to tell my kids all the time when people would say, you know, follow your heart. Now, I, garbage. That's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say follow your heart. Your heart needs guidance. And you know, your heart needs to be kept in check. And you know what? In my own life, a lot of times, I've got to keep my own heart in check. Because I'm, the way I go is, like, oh, man, I'd love to do this. I'd, I'd love to do that. Boy, I would like to spend more time with my kids. I would love to come back and do things with my family. But that's not what God has called me to do. And i got to keep my desires and my life in check and keep them focused on what is most important in life and what God wants me to have, have a desire for in this world. And you know, in your life, you need to keep those desires in check, and you need to have a desire in your life and desire what God desires in life. I think Paul had it right here when he said that he had a desire in his prayer were for, was for the salvation of the Jews, his countrymen. You know, tonight I hope and I pray that your desire and your prayer are for the lost right here in Fostoria, Michigan. The people that you come in contact contact every day 
Do you have a desire for them? Do you have a desire that they know Christ as their Savior? Or do you sit there and think about, man, how, how much longer before I can punch a clock and get out of here, and man, I'm, I'm going out to Arby's tonight. I'll just say Arby's. You know, because you have a desire for something else, it's just so temporal. Folks, what is your desire this evening?